Because <laughs> you've been here forever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have to thank these two beautiful women for helping to collate. Thank you. Yeah, we'll pat on their back. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Um, as you all know, my name is Jess. I'm super honored to be here. Before we start, I just want to say that this is a really, really crazy book to read. And all of your ideas are great. I still like the fact that I think Yoga Sutras is a band, but... I think that yours is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but um, I, um, as you all know, am a huge geek, and I like to um, study. I have read books that are very, very huge on this text, and I've read books that are very, very little. I've sat in classes and learned about it. And I also took philosophy in college. Did anybody take philosophy in college? If you took some philosophy in college, this is a little bit tangible. And also, like what you said about the um, idea of, um, Shannon, you said it was like a sonnet, right? That's um, really good, too. So did anybody study poetry, right? So it's a little bit of poetry. It's a little bit of prose. It's a little bit of a lot of bit of philosophy. And it's a little bit of some golden rules. So tonight and next week, we're going to sit and we're going to discuss each of the books together. And we're even going to say each of the books together. We're going to read it out as a group. Um, how many of you have started to crack open your book? A little bit? So the book that you are reading is really great. And I'm excited to get your feedback and see what you are interested in with it. Um, 
but I also want to um, offer you um, a text that I really like, and it's by a man, and I'm going to sound it out because it's easier to spell his name. His name's Chip. His last name is Hart, H-A-R-T, Ran, R-A-N, and then F-T. So Chip, Hart, Ran, T. Yeah, and it's called the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. It looks like this, and I'll pass it around. But it brings it into the everyday world. And also, you all have on your reading list Judith Lassiter's Living Your Yoga, correct? Mm -hmm. She does a really, really awesome job, especially for women yoginis, to kind of take some of the major sutras, the lines of the text, and communicate it into a very tangible, modern way so that you can understand it as a householder, as a human being, as uh, someone who's just interested in taking this text into their life. So cool. Um, <clears throat> so um, I liked what you said about the idea of framework. It is a framework in a sense. And um, say that when this was written was nearly 2,000 years ago. And right now I'm, I have two handouts for you. And this framework, say, was written 2,000 years ago, and the world was just as frenetic and as crazy, and they needed something to help them to kind of set some uh, rules for living and being good people. Maybe this is what this was created for. So by the definition of the words Yoga Sutra, it is a framework. And um, I have two handouts for you. I have my cheat sheet to the Yoga Sutras, and then I have a Yoga Sutras, which we're going to read, so that you all can say by the end of the, our time together that you actually read these 196 aphorisms. Because I know that when you go to yoga camp, it's hard sometimes to finish all your books because you're having too much fun and life gets in the way because you want to party with your friends, right? So you can't always get everything done. And I want you all to be able to have said these aphorisms together. So let's look at the cheat sheet first. <clears throat> to me, as you all know, uh, being a huge geek and loving yoga and practicing for 30 years now of my personal life and teaching for um, close to 17 years, I believe that pranayama and meditation is going to literally change the world. And we are in a really awesome time because right now, these are actually macro trends. Wellness is huge. It's a revolution that's like really happening. So you're going through this at a really great time because you have an awesome opportunity to share this really heady stuff in a very tangible way to all your friends and to people that you're going to be instructing and teaching and guiding through breath and movement. I think we have an opportunity to really change the world. Um, one thing that I want you to make sure of tonight is some of these things that are on the front page of this cheat sheet. This cheat sheet is all about the Yoga Sutras, which you could see from that first line. It's just a concise work that describes an early stage in the philosophy and practice of yoga. And this work shows a little bit of dualist and Buddhist influences. So I don't want you to get tied up in the idea of dualist and Buddhism stuff, but think of the idea that the cultures that we know now, like Christianity and Judaism and Islamic religions, it's all one, monotheism. So we're going to dive into a little bit of Buddhism and dualistic philosophy. But I don't want you to get trapped up in like, okay, I need to study and find out what dualism. I gave you some references to it into the back of your little sheet here. You've got an appendix. 
So, oh, that's great, thank you. So that you can kind of figure this out. But one thing that, um, <clears throat> one thing that I do want to make sure that we discuss in this idea is that it's showing a compilation or an idea of merging a lot of different things together to create some cohesiveness in the world, wherever these people were living at the time that they were writing it. And these become timeless principles for our yoga practice. They're relatable in the universe, and hopefully they're relatable to you. So as we go through this together, this isn't like me being a talking head sitting here and just telling you everything. I want to really engage in conversation and into a, into a dialogue. I don't want it just to be a monologue with me. So if you have questions or comments or like something's really rubbing you the wrong way, I want you to like really say it, you know? How many people are religious? Spiritual. Okay. Yeah, you know, but like in other groups, I've had people who are like very religious and it really rubs them the wrong way. And so I want you to voice your opinion so that we can have a conversation instead of you feeling like, oh, I hate this stuff. I don't understand it. And now I can't believe I'm going to teach a training program. This sucks. Right? Life is over. Okay. I want this to be really relatable. Um, and then as you see, if you continue on, if you are interested in yoga and meditation, the yoga sutras are basically required reading. It's said to be the most enlightening spiritual document of all time, and it's the guidebook to classical Raja Yoga. So do you know what Raja means? Raja means regal or royal, right? So I always like to think of when you open up all the lines of communication in your body, you open up 10,000 fold like a beautiful lotus flower. You're, you're tapped into something greater than you and you shine as brightly as like someone's royal crown, right? You sparkle, you glisten, you have a luster. You have a radiance to you. Also, the classical Raja Yoga, the regal yoga practice of Hatha Yoga is part of Raja Yoga. And what you're learning through this training is Hatha Yoga, which one of the branches is the Tantric Yoga practice, which is all about moving energy through the body, correct? So this is all about how to create yourself and harmonize and harness the pure potentiality of the breath to really do incredible things. That's so flippin' cool. So that you can get up and out of your animal brain and into your prefrontal cortex and really blossom and shine and be your authentic, true, badass selves. Right? Woo! No one else is as excited as I am. <laughs> you didn't realize this book was so cool. Um, as I mentioned just a couple moments ago, it's 2,000 years old plus, right? And there are 196 compact aphorisms or observations on the nature of consciousness and liberation. So does anybody know what um, the word liberation is in Sanskrit? Moksha. Moksha is a word you can use often in your yoga teaching. Moksha means liberation or freedom. And that's the highest attainment that we're really trying to do. How can we get out of our monkey mind, right? And have some freedom to truly be. Not just to be like, get stuck, right? But how can I let it be? Like the Beatles say, right? 
<clears throat> this cuts to the heart of the human dilemma. And I always like to think of Patanjali, and we'll talk about Patanjali in a second, but I always like to think of the person who was said to have created this as the first psychotherapist or therapist. Because basically it was te it's teaching us how to get our head on straight. So it's kind of cool. You're bringing consciousness to a state of stillness. The sutras are the path to realization. They give us a program on how to fill the primary purpose of consciousness. Like we're aware, we're awake, now what? Well, now that we've dropped in, now what? How do you get to a space where you're really calm and present and have clarity and peace of mind to do really amazing things through this? The sutras are often thought of as an inward quest to realize our true nature. It's a way to extract happiness and meaning from the mysteries of life, comma, consciousness, and mortality. So, like, right there, some of you might have fallen asleep already, but that's why I wanted to really give you some kind of cheat sheets to this really heavy text, so that when you walk away from these two sessions with me, and then you may or may not read your book, that you kind of at least have a grasp of, oh, these are like the ten major, major things I really need to know about the Yoga Sutras, or here's the most important sutra I need to know, and I'm going to memorize it, right? Because some people might be like, oh, this is awesome, and other people might be like, this is such a crock of shit, and I'm never going to want to teach this kind of way, this isn't my path. But I want you to at least know it. Because as a yoga teacher, I think it's really important to know the foundation and the footprint of where you came from and how you, like, where your lineage comes from. Uh, it's a way to extract happiness and meaning from the mysteries of life, consciousness, and mortality, which is what I said, and everybody wants happiness. Pure awareness resides impervious at the core of each and every kind of sensation, thought, and feeling, whether we see it which in Sanskrit is vidya, which is true identity, or not, avidya, which is ignorance. And the routes to knowing this freedom fully is yoga. Whew. Yeah, so yoga, that word yog, the way we should be saying it, yog, has so much power, so much weight to it, right? We think of it as wholeness. What's another word for all of you that that's yoga? Unity, balance, right? Um, well, we just learned a word tonight, moksha, freedom. That could be yoga. One thing that I want to get across in this text is that it's a habitual practice. Yoga isn't just something to say like, hey, I do yoga because it's trendy now, right? And I have really cute yoga pants and I have a top and I have a bag that carries my stuff. Right? Or, right? And people might be coming to class for that hero physique, but subconsciously, something's happening. Mm -hmm. You're coming in here maybe for the workout, but you get the work in because something's happening to your subtle body. So this habitual practice does magic. You are, and this is alchemy, this is like you are magicians. When you are able to really guide people and yourself, onto a deeper space in their life where there's more meaning, more context. 
It's like you're Alice and you, you know, look through the looking glass or you jumped into the rabbit hole and all of this amazing stuff starts to happen. Or you see someone and they're like, they look like they have something and you just want to like hang out with them. Not because they're having a bad hair day or because they're like wearing cool clothes, but you look at them and they just like are glowing, right? You're like, I want that Kool-Aid, I want that. That's what happens when you start to really peel away the layers, which we know as yogis are the koshas, right? We peel away the layers of the artichoke and what do you get to? Yes, the heart, the essence, that purity, that like vitality. That's what this thing gives you. It gives you that thing to thrive and really just radiate peace. So this habitual practice, I also want to tell you, and this is going to be funny, because people come in because they want the work, workout, right? They come in because they want to do the physicality of it. Basically, this primary text on meditation only talks about two to six sutras about movement. So everything that you're actually teaching, the physical stuff, is pretty much like a sidebar to what we're really doing when we do yoga. That's so cool. So like, okay, yeah, I'm coming to the mat, I'm twisting, ooh, I feel really good after I leave, but the magic is in what happens through the rest of it, when you are off the mat, when you're in the world. What do you think sutra means without looking at the text bhikkhu that I have in front of you? You had said it meant framework? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. I was like, Bleh. it looks like you're drinking alcohol, Shelly. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay, that's cool. I'm like impressed. I'm totally impressed. Okay, so sutra, um, here I gave you some bullet points. Words of wisdom, a thread, a string, a lace, a line, just like she said, that holds things together and is derived from the verbal root sieve, meaning to sew. Right? So rules hanging together like threads. And that's why it's prose. So Shelley's totally right. We're almost tying it together. It never stops. This hundred, these 196 aphorisms, they flow like a song. And the, it used to be passed on from teacher to student. We're going to talk about that in a second. But these rules that are hanging together like threads are all about interconnection. So to me... Um, and I don't know if this makes sense to all of you, but to me, when we breathe, we have an inhale and we have an exhale, but it always comes full circle, right? It's always interconnected. They go hand in hand. So it's a continuous, beautiful cycle. That's why in Buddhism, uh, what's that circle called? The mandala. No, but the circle, that circle, they always draw a circle in, it has a name for it, Enzo? Enzo. The circle that they draw with the um, calligraphy thing is a very deep Buddhist symbol, that circle. But the idea of that continuous movement always makes me think about breathing. Because when you breathe with your ribs or your lungs, you inhale and you expand. And then you exhale and everything stitches together. Right? Inhale and it's expansive and opening. And exhale and you stitch together. So you just kind of keep 
reworking the framework, and you keep moving, and everything's interconnected. And then I have this image of Patanjali, which I will kind of hold up here, because maybe some of you have never seen Patanjali, and I'll pass it around. But Patanjali, mm, I would also say not only is the first therapist, but I would say if he was on Instagram, he, she, it, whoever this person is, they would be the fucking most popular person. <laughs> they would be like, you would be following them and they'd be doing all these cool moves and stuff and they'd say these really pithy things and then you'd be like, oh my God, I want to be Tongue And so the personal history of this human is shrouded in mystery and myth. Practitioners believe that he or she lived around 2nd century BCE. So Patanjali was a Renaissance person. This person was so cool. That's why if it was now, we'd all want to be their friend. Um, <clears throat> they were a Renaissance person, wrote about science, Ayurveda, and Sanskrit. So we all know that Ayurveda is like the sister art of yoga, and they go hand in hand, because we all want to have a sattvic state of being, which is the like most purest, most rich form, most harmonious space, right? And so when we were doing the uh, Ayurveda, the yoga and Ayurveda, they were like kind of like the same people. Ayurvedic practitioners were the yogis, and they were the Sanskrit scholars. And I always think it's really cool because Sanskrit, the word, do you all know what Sanskrit means? To polish. Am I right? Yeah, she's nodding her head. <laughs> so I'm right. Okay. So Sanskrit means to polish. Polish, like polish a stone. Right? So think about it. As yoga teachers, we can't practice, but we can say the Sanskrit. And we might say it in our American language and totally bastardize it. And it might not be perfect the way that it is in other countries or for where it originates from. But at least we're saying it. And when we say it, we're polishing our bodies from the inside out because the tonal effect of it is affecting our neurological pathways in our body. It's the coolest thing ever. Now, don't you want to like, dive deep into the sutras? Because you're like, oh my god, this is awesome. Okay. It's so cool because it, it's like polishing is like practicing, right? Yes. Yeah, you're mm -hmm. just continually working mm -hmm. on it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's awesome. So that every facet of our being, whether it's good or bad, still can have a positive effect on our essence. Um, Patanjali was credited with expounding yoga's teachings and writing them down. <clears throat> and it used to be passed down orally from teacher to student. And that's where we get the idea of guru. And do you know what guru means? Teacher. teacher. Guru means out of the darkness and into the light. So it was passed down from teacher to student so that it was actually to me, guru means more like a bridge because the teacher is teaching the student, which in turn the student is finding their inner light and their divine power so that they can then go on and guide others. So it's this beautiful domino effect where you're leading someone to the path of realization to find freedom, to find moksha, so that then they can go and share this infinite knowledge and this amazing pure potentiality of the breath with someone else. What the fuck? <laughs> That's so awesome, right? So another thing is, too, is I want you to remember that, because some of you said, like, you know, your first idea of, like, um, when I say prana is breath, right? But 
I would say that, uh, or asana is posture. Uh, let's use that as an example instead. If I say asana, you guys usually say posture, right? But I want you to think of asana as being sitting on the platform of the breath to dive deeper into what the true meaning of asana is. So it's not really about the pose, but it's about the breath work in the pose, right? So don't think of guru in the same sense as like a teacher. I want you to think of guru as like the idea of like you are the guru because you're tapping into your divine light. And truly, whatever your teach, teacher's teaching you, whatever's coming out of my mouth, whether it sounds like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 right? Or if it actually sounds like you're getting it and you're processing it, I want you to think about that you are the guru. You already had this stuff. I'm just telling you something you already know. And then you're like, oh yeah. Right? Um, <clears throat> another thing is that people thought that Patanjali wasn't really just like maybe one entity, but that Patanjali was an outcome of a cooperative group effort that spanned several generations. Mm -hmm. So this is where I could really like piss off someone who's religious, but like what if the Bible was the same way? Right? And that people collectively created stories to pass on so that people would be able to live a good life, a proper life, and be kind and compassionate to other human beings. Right? Because we're going to learn like things like take a shower, don't sleep with your neighbor's husband when your husband's out of town. <laughs> right? That's the kind of stuff we're going to learn about. And that's like in the Yoga Sutras. I mean, it's not like, it's pretty much like common knowledge, but it's like, maybe it, people needed to know. Patanjali can be roughly translated as falling from heaven. Okay? So pata means falling down, and anjali means consciousness is coming into you. Okay, now don't you think that's flipping cool that every time we put our hands in anjali mudra, we're going like this. Right? We're holding the preciousness of our heart in our hands because consciousness is coming into you. And you are radiating your divine light <clears throat> through that practice of just making that mudra. You are Patanjali. Because it's already within you. You're just tapping into it. How many of you thought that this was namaste hands? Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> this is... It's called um, Namaskar, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and Namaste is the light in me, honors the light in you. Or it could be one of the roughly translated things. But this is Anjali Mudra. Cool shit. Isn't your head exploding? <laughs> so neat. <clears throat> and then... Um, Patanjali, as you'll see in this picture, sits on a coiled serpent in the imagery. And then we have to talk a little bit about what do snakes represent in yoga. If I have two coiled snakes and they start to uncoil and they weave around each other. Ah, the what? The nadis? What? The kundalini, so the, so the kundalini and the nadis, and then those seven, so the 72,000 channels of the nadis, 
intersect, and they're called what? Chakras? He's holding a chakra, which is an actual symbol of a chakra. And then, if these then intersect and uncoil, then you open up and blossom 10,000-fold. Right? How many uh, coils of the snake is Patanjali sitting on, Jessica? Why? Patanjali is sitting on three. So what are the first three chakras? Root, security, ego, foundation. Right? So if we get our head out of our ass and we uncoil, How cool. Okay. And then he's also on a lotus flower. And uh, let's see what else. He's holding a conch shell. And so there's all kinds of good stuff. I'll pass it around for those of you who've never seen the picture of Patanjali. Which is your heart shot? Four. He's sitting on three. So, yeah, so he's activating the fourth. Yeah? Very good, very clever. So, I want you to think about that idea of maybe that's where the idea of the caduceus, caducus, I don't know, Hermes, Hermes staff that looks like the serpentine, that doctor's <laughs> symbol that doctors use, maybe actually came from yoga. Right? Because as the snakes uncoil, they meet at seven points. This doctor symbol is not anything new to yogis. Then when the ball, that's your like head, and when the wings happen, that's when you open up your brain and really start to create something greater. Just a thought. I'll plant the seed. And then the key concepts that I would really love for you all to walk away with is the fact that this whole text is about finding balance, health, and harmony. And it comes from Purusha, which is consciousness, and Prakriti, which is matter, finding balance. That's that duality. It comes from Shtira Sukha Asanam, which sometimes is roughly defined as motion and stillness. And then shtira sukha asanam, which sometimes is defined as effort and effortlessness. And finally, the power to be at home with all experience and things as they are. So we have, say, like, what, 20 plus people in here, right? And I've said this before, but we are all unique, special people who have our own experiences going on right now. So this thing gives you framework to find balance, health, and harmony. But even though we're all having a different experience, we all find our own way there. And this is just giving us guideposts. Because we're all sitting in this room, someone might be thinking about dinner, someone might be thinking about their kids, someone might be thinking about, I'm so tired, how can she doesn't shut up? And someone might be thinking about like, oh, this is really interesting, but, 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 you know, and someone, we're all having a totally different human experience. Doesn't matter. But we can all find the same page through the Yoga Sutras. But we have to remember that we have to be 
at home with our experiences, with our life as they are. And that's why I always think of this as more like therapy, right? Because it's teaching you to put your thoughts into a framework. It's going to teach you, you are not your thoughts. So that if you stop thinking or ruminating on these thoughts, whew, life would be so much better. Right? And that's where the balance comes. So uh, before I stop talking about the key concepts and then we start reading the text, um, what other things talk about balance? Right? If shtira and sukha asanam is about effort and effortlessness, which I always like to think of our practice as effortless effort. But what other things think of balance in yoga? So I'll start off, like ha and ta, right? What's that? Sun and moon, great. Right? Male, female, good, bad, hot, cold, spicy, sour. We're always trying to tip the scales to find balance. So everything that we do, even an inhale and an exhale, we're trying to find balance. But they complement each other, they go together. <clears throat> and that's what this is going to teach us how to do, is to, how to calm the fluctuations of the mind so that we can literally live by these timeless principles and be good people and have a good life and be free. Anybody excited? <laughs> it reminds me of Satya, you know, living within this truth of the sutras and not distorting the truth and your experience as it is at that time helps you to find your way mm -hmm. in the world and to find your truth. Mm -hmm. And this is where Satya comes from, yeah. comes from this text. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. So, let's flip the page of this cheat sheet. And the first book that we're going to read together after we say this first um, name of the book, there's four books in this text of 196 aphorisms. But the first book is called Samadhi Pada. Right? Samadhi Pada. Let's all say that. Samadhi Pada. Okay, so Samadhi, as we know, is an eighth limb. Correct? It's the eighth limb. And what do we know about Pada? We say it when we practice. What's a Pada? Oh, foot. So what does foot think? Think foot. If I need to get to the eighth limb, the roots, the foundation, the base, yep. So we're learning the foundation, right, of how to get to this place of samadhi. So this chapter on samadhi, or cognitive absorption, Patanjali opens with a big picture, a roadmap to where we're going to the state of samadhi itself. 